Check, check, check. One, two. How are we all going today? Good? All right? We're all nice and cold? Who's cold here? Raise your hand who's cold here. Give that person a hug. Come on. Give them a hug. Make sure it's appropriate. Today I'm going to be speaking about the promises of God that are in His Word being what we recognise as our Bible. Um, And I'm also going to be speaking about um, the level under that of um, the promises that maybe have been given to you as an individual through um, a prompting or through your quiet time or God speaking to you and your response to that leading or prompting that you've received either one from the Word of God or two from um, your interactions with him. Um, I don't know about you. Sometimes I have leadings and promptings and um, don't always respond um, in the way that I think God would want me to respond. Am I the only person who does that? Don't look at me like that. (laughs) And it's a real challenge because... The way that I respond to the way that God leads me and how um, I respond to his word doesn't just affect me and my family, it actually affects our greater community, Um, which is a little bit um, heavy for me (laughs) to think that we're in a society that we're very much self-focused and we have very much a mentality of what I do only affects me. I'm not hurting anyone, I'm just doing it for myself. Or I'm, it's, it, it doesn't really matter whether I do what God wants me to do or not. It's between me and Him and we'll sort it out. But the fact is that um, I think we know that it's not that simple. I think that it actually extends beyond that and it extends to those around us and obviously uh, our community here, um, not only with the, obviously in the context of the project, but the church in a larger capacity. I'm going to have a bit of a quick look um, over the next few minutes at um, the journey that the Israelites uh, took out of um, Egypt and um, across the wilderness and then obviously on the fringes of uh, hitting the promised land. Um, I'm going to be talking about the first run that uh, the Israelites had at going to the promised land. I've read through a pretty large section of their journey from the Exodus through to um, Numbers where they're getting ready for their first attempt to enter into the promised land and 
just in that small period of time between travelling from the exodus out of uh, Egypt and actually going for the first attempt to go into the promised land, there is so much happening in that period of time that's probably about two years before they actually get a chance to enter into the promised land. And I couldn't help but read through and, which sounds really bad, but just about couldn't read through and just about laugh at the toing and throwing that's going between God, Moses and his people. And it's this ongoing thing that just goes around in a circle that God talks to Moses, Moses talks to the people and the people rebel and then God talks to Moses and then Moses talks to the people and the people rebel. And this cycle just goes on and on and on. (coughs) And I don't know about you, but do you ever read the Bible sometimes and you go, why aren't these people just getting it? Has anyone ever thought that? As in, let's be honest, you know, you go, why aren't these people getting it? It's so straightforward, it's so simple, you do what God asks you to do, and then you enter into the promised land. It's so easy. Why aren't they doing that? And then if you drop a beat and then you actually reflect on your own life, (laughs) then you go, hmm, okay, yeah, well... It sounds very reflective of my own walk um, with Jesus, <laughs> um, which is somewhat embarrassing, but um, I think we've all been there at different points in time through our walk with God that we actually realize that um, we're really not doing much better than some of the characters that are in the Bible. A preacher once said that... Um, the Bible's divided into two groups. Um, examples of people doing what they should do and being obedient to God and basically examples of what not to do. And um, I personally would prefer my life to be leaning more towards of, hey, James uh, did a great example of what God wanted him to do. Um, to bring it sort of even to a, another level is that Imagine if you were a part of the Bible. Imagine if your life story was a part of the Bible. What would it look like? Um, mine would be a lot of backing and forthing, but a lot of disobedience, a lot of stubbornness. And the big one is a lot of do-overs. Who's got... <laughs> you probably don't want to put your hand up, but who has felt that there's certain areas in their life that there's a lot of do-overs? What I mean by do-overs is that you feel led or convicted to do something and you do it or you don't do it well, you don't respond well, you lose your temper and then it kind of feels like God just takes you through a similar thing again not that much longer after the first time you did it and it feels like you're not really learning the lesson that needs to be learnt. Um, is that just me? It is, it's just me. Well, this sermon's for me today. Um, And I think it's pretty evident that um, in the journey of the Israelites coming out of Exodus and actually travelling into, (coughs) excuse me, their first attempt at entering the Promised Land, that this is an ongoing pattern. To the degree that um, when I was reading through this in preparation, there was a section leading up to this where Moses is that frustrated with the toing and throwing of the Israelites, that he actually cries out to God and he says, Lord, kill me! 
Please kill me. Now, <laughs> things are pretty bad when that's your prayer. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've sort of hit, hit the, the, the point of utter frustration um, when you're praying for God to kill you. But um, nonetheless, um, he persists and God persists with his children. And um, we'll see where that all um, ends up. Um, the other impression that I got through reading, through preparing for this, was that um, the people of Israel obviously had something in their mind of what they thought it was going to mean by entering into the promised land. And I think they were sort of thinking there might be a bit of odor joy playing as they entered in and God cleared the way for them. Can we have a bit of odor joy there, Diff? There's going to be a great deal of grandeur and they were going to come in there and um, God was going to pave the way for them. And um, it was just all going to be good. There wasn't going to be any challenges. It was just going to happen. It's God's promise. There's a lot of why hasn't this already happened already? Um, and the fact is that God um, wanted to do this with them. He wanted to show his glory. He wanted to show that it wasn't um, just them that was going to come into land. He wanted to do a thing that was um, the best way I could describe it is as a partnership. Over the last um, two or three weeks, I've had a bit of a cold. So, um, and I've still got my cold. Who's had a cold the last couple of weeks? We're all going through that. I'm going to get uh, David Suchet um, to give me a bit of a hand. He doesn't attend this church. He's actually the guy that plays Poro in the Agatha Christie series. He's going to read through um, Numbers 13 for us. So if I could get Diff to cue that. It goes for about four minutes. And I think we may have a little bit of uh, writing up there for you to um, look at if you don't have your Bibles. So if we could just listen to uh, a section of Scripture that we're going to be going over today, that'd be great. Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemhua, son of Zakah. From the tribe of Simeon, Shephat, son of Horai. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jufune. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, son of Rehu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodai. From the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Joseph, Gadai, son of Suzai. From the tribe of Dan, Aniel, son of Gamalai. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, son of Vosai. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Mekai. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hushia, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. 
See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are <coughs> or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hanath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut up a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Okay, we can... Numbers chapter 14. We, we can stop it there. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and went to... Hello. Hi. <laughs> Pretty great voice, isn't it? I love that uh, voice. It sounds very authoritative. Um... So, in Numbers 13.1, um, the Lord says to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I have given to the Israelites. So, God's already given them the land. It's already there. It's going to happen. And I'm thinking to myself, why is God actually asking them to send spies into the land if he kind of already knows that one that he's going to give it to them. Um, and, and God knows what's over there, but he wants to actually send 12, um, wants to send 12 guys to go in and check out the land and give a report. And I'm trying to wrestle with him myself. Why does he want to send these people and do the report regardless of this obviously still going to happen? And I believe that God was actually testing them to see the way they'd respond. 
I believe that he was showing them that his word was going to be true and that he had good things for them, but it wasn't going to be something that would be happening just in their own strength. They weren't going to go in there and they're going to defeat um, their enemies. They, God wasn't going to go in there and do it for them. I believe it was going to be something that he wanted to do with his people to show how awesome he was and it was going to be this winning combination of them being obedient and um, trusting God and then receiving the, the honour and the glory for him bringing them into the promised land. But unfortunately on this first run, um, they didn't respond well. <laughs> and today I just want to speak briefly on a couple of points on uh, some areas through going through this scripture that may help us respond um, better than the Israelites did um, and learn some lessons from uh, Caleb and the way that he responded. Um, so I'm just going to go through a couple of thoughts um, and draw out a couple of points that we can see that have occurred in Numbers uh, 13 and uh, some in Numbers 14 as well. First... Uh, thought that I've got here is um, led by Caleb and it's quiet the negative voices. Quiet the negative voices. In number 13, numbers 13 and 30, <coughs> it says, um, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. What do you think um, Caleb's confidence was based on? I think it's he actually believed what God was saying. <laughs> I believe that he was tapping into and standing on the promises of God that they'd been hearing from Moses from day one of leaving um, Egypt. We probably can't say that for the other roughly 600,000 other people that were on this journey as well, which is pretty mind-blowing considering that Caleb is the only person that's really speaking out against this negative um, spirit. It's kind of, it's acknowledged that yes, it's awesome. You've told us how great this um, land is and we've seen how great it is. Um, we've brought back um, grapes that are as big as our head and it's, it takes two people to carry these things. We know that it's full of plenty, but then it's this whole thing of, falling back into the negative of saying, well, it's a land full of giants. And that's basically this, this sort of just about making um, excuses. And uh, Caleb doesn't want to borrow it. He's saying, look, we're going off on a rabbit, down a, a, a rabbit warren here. And he silences the people. And I think for me personally, and, and maybe for you as well, that there are times um, in our life that um, we actually need, need to silence negativity that's around us. Um, there are going to be times that people are spe speaking negativity over our lives. And you know what? Most of them actually think they're being helpful. <laughs> Most of them think they're being realistic. Um, and we need to silence those voices whether it be not spending as much time with those people um, whether it be 
actually even saying something. Um, not in a way that's um, aggressive, but maybe in a way that's firm. Um, there's been points in my life where I've actually had to say to people, look, I don't really feel comfortable talking about this anymore. And that's a hard thing to do, to pull up a conversation. <laughs> but sometimes I feel that we need to actually just stop the conversation. Um, there truly is, and we, we don't necessarily focus on it as much as, um, as what we, we could um, in our reading and in our uh, devotions and so forth, but we actually have to get back to the good old-fashioned idea of that there actually is power in our words. There is actually power in our words, and it does determine the direction and trajectory of our life and um, whether us in fulfilling God's promises for our life. The next thing that I observed was um, in Numbers 13, 33, where it says, um, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Once again, it's tapping into that negative thing of, they're actually talking about the way that they see themselves. And once again, if you're not holding on to the promise of God, of God and you're not in his word and you're not focusing on him and getting his mindset, um, you're going to start looking at the world through your perspective, which is really dangerous. <laughs> we need to be looking at our lives and the lives around us and the things that we're called to do from the perspective of God's perspective and how he sees us. There is a certain clarity that comes with, with Jesus' perspective, perspective in our lives and situations. And we need to acknowledge that we actually are in a spiritual battle every day, whether you acknowledge it or not. And in Ephesians uh, 6.12, Paul talks about, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and again, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sometimes we go through things and we're finding things to be tough and we don't know why. And sometimes that reason is because we actually are in a spiritual battle. And um, we tend to try to fix things that are on the surface and we, try to, we respond to things that we're seeing, behaviours, the way that people are talking, situations... And I think that we actually need to train ourselves for those split-second prayers, is what I call them, is that in our days, Lord, give me eyes to see what is really going on here. Give me eyes, your eyes, to see what is going on here. I don't know, as a male, sometimes you hear a problem, you see a problem, and you want to run to it and fix it, and, oh, yeah, I know what you need to do. You need to do this, this, this. And... Once again, you know, it's somewhat, you could say, well, that's conventional wisdom. Oh, that's very good advice. But what's, what's God seeing in this situation? What's going underneath the, level, uh, the other levels that you may not be seeing? So I just really want to encourage you for that split-second prayer this week is, you know, Lord, give me eyes to see what's really going on here. Because a lot of the stuff that we deal with, we're dealing with on surface levels where maybe we need to have a little bit more insight and a bit more of God's perspective on what's going on. 
The other thing that can happen is when we're in our journey, and I'm sure a lot of people here have been saved for a great number of years, is that um, sometimes it can become a bit familiar. We can just go through the paces. We sort of can do our family stuff and do the work stuff and then go do the church stuff. And if you're leading worship, you can just go and lead worship. And if you're preaching, you just be preaching. Or if you're just coming along and attending, you're just listening and you go home. Sometimes (laughs) we need to actually take a moment and actually stop (coughs) and actually remember what God has done for us. And my third point that I've got here is remember all God has done for us. And... uh, God um, references this. Um, the people were complaining uh, about being out in the desert and um, all these problems that are occurring with um, actually going into the promised land. And the Lord says to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? So in the two-year period or the roughly two-year period leading up to their first attempt, in that two-year period, just some of the highlights of what God's done for them is that they're enslaved for 400 years in Egypt and he's managed to get their whole people, not half of them, not a couple of them, got their whole race, including all their livestock, out of the bonds of this dictator and leave and escape. And also, he defeats their enemies. So just that, that small one thing that he's done. But in the midst of that, while escaping, he also parts the Red Sea. <laughs> and um, they escape. Not only do they part, does he part the Red Sea, he actually, the ground is dry. So this is, you know, if you want to rationalise away why the Red Sea <laughs> was parted... Um, which you can't, um, the fact is the ground was dry as well. So this is a supernatural thing. They're out in the middle of the desert and they start complaining that they're thirsty. So he provides water. Then they complain that they're hungry. So he provides manna from heaven. And then he provides, and then they complain that they're sick of eating manna and they want to have something different. So he provides them meat. While this is all going on to remind them that he is present with them during day and night, he's also created a GPS system for them, which is a cloud during the day and a fire at night that keeps them warm. So these are all the things that he's done for them just in the last two years. These are pretty significant things. I mean, if all these things happened in my walk over the period of my walk with him, I'd be pretty stoked. But these have all happened in about a two-year period. And then they've had skirmishes and interactions with other people where God has actually helped them defeat these people that have been attacking them out in the desert. And there's many times that God has also got them to put up landmarks to remind them of what he's done. So after one of the battles where um, they defeat these people that are attacking them, he says, look, build an, an altar, build a pile of rocks to remember what has happened here. And he normally renames a place to actually represent so not only for those people that are um, out in the desert then but actually in time and the next generation is about to look back and say hey remember what God did here Um, he also has a time where he does when the manna comes down he also says hey to remember what's happened here I'm going to actually give you some everlasting manna that will always remind you of what happened here 
On top of all that, they're actually carrying around this gold ark that actually has the presence of God with them day and night as well. So there's a number of things here that it's not like (laughs) we know that they're out in a wilderness experience and we use that terminology as Christians sometimes on having a wilderness experience. They actually are out in the wilderness, but they actually do have the presence of God with them and they uh, they are experiencing him out in the wilderness. (coughs) And sometimes... For us as Christians, we can feel like we are having wilderness experiences and that's not to take away from the fact that you know, things have been tough, hard, things aren't going the way that we thought they would. But I really do believe that we have to cultivate this culture within our community where we actually do take time to actually reflect on what God has done, not only in this community here, in growth and people's lives being changed, but also taking time to reflect in what he's been doing in our own lives. I was going to do this here, but I thought I won't subject you to this, but it would be a great idea if you went home and during your quiet time this week, you actually wrote down all the things that come to mind that God has done in your life since you've been saved. Draw a line from dot to beginning of birth to now and look at all the things that he's done and the times that I do that and I reflect, even if I don't write down, I reflect on what he's done, it's overwhelming. And we need to come back to those times and be refreshed and to realize that, yes, life is a challenge. Yes, sometimes we don't see the promises of God fulfilled in the way that we think it will, but we have to trust him and we have to believe that God is going to fulfill those promises that he's made. Um, point number four I've got down here is um, there are consequences for not trusting God and for trusting God. So there's fours and against. Um, the, the pretty significant um, against um, in this situation is that God kills you uh, <laughs> as a consequence. So in Numbers 14.36, so, uh, so the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by speaking a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for speaking the bad report about the land were struck down and died of plague before the Lord. So this was actually done, once again, this is probably the lack of my Bible education, but I actually didn't realize that those guys that went into the land bar obviously two people all those other guys that came back with a negative report all died that day bang it's like wow okay (coughs) but not only for those um, 10 guys that brought back the bad report god also says every person over 20 will not get to see the promised land you will die out in the desert and for every day that the spies were in um, the promised land, you'll spend a year for each of those days out in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness and you will die. <laughs> that's, that's pretty full on. Um, but that is the consequence and you can see how seriously that God takes um, this rebellion that is against his leading in their life. And, and, and all God is trying to actually do is do the best for them and fulfill his promises in their life. 
Turning to a more positive example, um, the only two people out of you know, over 600,000 people that actually ever were the original crew that make it are Caleb and Joshua, are the only two that get to see the fullness of God's promise to them and their people. Caleb is referred to by God as wholehearted. Who wants to be referred to by God as wholehearted? I would love to be referred to God, by God as wholehearted. Sometimes, um, a lot of the time, I don't feel like my heart is very whole. <laughs> there's times that hurts come along. There's times that things haven't worked out how I thought they should have worked out. There's offences that have come along and that can take away from my heart being whole. I looked up the meaning of uh, wholeheartedness in the dictionary and it came up with completely and sincerely devoted, determined or enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Who's been saved for 20 years and still enthusiastic? It's a challenge. I find it a challenge, but it's a challenge for us to rise to be enthusiastic. And I don't mean in an artificial way, but actually to keep on reflecting and keep on remembering what God has done for us as individuals and for his church. It says um, in Numbers 14, 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he uh, went to and his descendants will inherit it. So not only by us responding as individuals today to the way that God's leading us and his promises in his word and the promises he may have given us as individuals, it actually will benefit, I believe, the spiritual generations as well as your direct generations. And that's something that we don't really focus on in this society is we don't think generationally. And I think we really do need to be thinking generationally of what we do now and what we do in our individual personal lives at home actually affects the generations to come, whether it be our family directly or our spiritual family. Last one, um, point number five. God's promises will be fulfilled by him and not by us. Has anyone ever here taken matters into their own hands because God's got it wrong? <laughs> um, we may not say it exactly like that, but that's how our behaviour is that we say to ourselves, well, God, I think you've got the timing off. I think you're taking a little bit too long on this. Obviously, I need to do something. I need to jump in and, and handle it. Or you feel in context with that as well, you feel let down that God hasn't acted in the way that you thought he would or you thought he should. <coughs> he hasn't worked everything out the way that um, you want it to go. You may have received a word from him and you've thought, well, this is how it's going to play out. And I find that when God speaks to me and prompts me with different things that just about 99% of the time it never plays out the way that I anticipated it would but it couldn't actually turn out any more perfect than obviously the way that God would want it to. But the danger is that we are constantly trying to take over the reins of our life and control our life and our destiny or God's plans for our life. The mind-blowing thing is that in um, Numbers 14, they have this uproar 
God turns up, basically says, look, this is the deal. You guys are dead. You guys aren't going to make it into the promised land. Um, So he's laid it out for them. Your children will, but you won't. So the very next day, and I had a bit of a chuckle at this because it reflects the kind of thing I do. The very next day, a couple of them get up. Numbers 14, 40 to 45. Early the next morning, they set out to the highest point in the hill country, saying, now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord has promised us. Surely we have sinned. So, okay, yep, we've done the wrong thing. We've been out of line. You did mention that you're going to kill us. But we're going to get up. We're going to be really positive. And we're going to go up to the hill. We're going to check it out. Now we are ready. Now we are ready to take over this promise that you've given us. And basically Moses is going, Guys, why are you doing this? God's spoken. It was only last night. He's spoken. This isn't happening. Your children are going in, but you're not. And basically, they attack um, a village or a group of people on the fringes of Canaan, and they get whipped. They get whipped big time. But once again, we all do that. (laughs) We all, all have done that at different points in time. And I was thinking about why do we do this? Why do we take on things that should fall into God's camp and we don't do things that probably fall into our camp? And the conclusion I came to, and if you've got any other ideas, have a chat to me, um, is basically my expectations. A lot of my (laughs) disobedience in these things comes down to my expectations. Who's really been disappointed by people? at different points in time. Why didn't they turn up on time? Why haven't they done this? Why don't they clean up their room? Why, why, why? And it's not to say that some of those things should be done, but probably the big problem is, is your expectation of how you think things are going to roll out and how things should work. And um, the sooner that we get um, in line with letting God do his part and us doing our part of being obedient and listening to him every step of the way, every moment of the day, um, I think we're going to be less frustrated and we're actually probably going to see more things happen um, in this area of God's promises being fulfilled in our lives and in our community. (coughs) In preparing this sermon, I just really had it on my heart um, that There'd be people here today that God has spoken to. It may have been a year ago. It may have been 10 years ago. But God's spoken to you and laid things on your heart and given you promises. And initially, um, you were passionate about it and you were excited about it and you stepped out in it and saw some things happen. And then through a period of time, those things may have fallen away and you've sort of not intentionally, but you've sort of let those things go and you've sort of put them aside and you've just like, well, obviously that was more me or maybe that wasn't God or you've explained it away. But I just believe as I'm talking right now that God is actually speaking to you and your heart and actually saying, I want to do this with you. I want to stand with you. I want to support you. I want you to trust me and I want to bring those promises to pass, and I just believe there's a couple of people here that 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 word, because I believe it is a word from God, is for you now. And and I just 
it's like a coal that God actually wants to blow on <laughs> and wants to reignite. And I don't know how that looks. I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> only you and God will know that and only you and God will be able to achieve that in partnership together. But I just really want to encourage you to, if as I'm speaking, those things are stirring in you, that just to really um, bring them before God, maybe talk to someone about it. Um, the other thing I just felt to say was that God loves us. He loves us so much and I know that you know that, but God does love us and he's got the best for us. He delights in you. He thinks you're great um, and you're not alone. He's with you and he does want the best for you. Lord, I just thank you that you do love us. I thank you that you're with us. We thank you that um, you have uh, given us promises in your word and you've given us promises as individuals and promptings. And Lord, I just pray as a community, as individuals, that we will be obedient and that we will not try to go it alone or not just think it's all up to you, but we'll, we'll actually walk with you in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for your time.